Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nathaniel Paul Thurston, and I am by myself today. Charlie is not here. I'm very sorry. If it's your first time listening to this podcast, just be aware there's normally two of us. We've been friends for a really long time, and it's often a, a good and funny time for us to go back and forth on these issues in agreement, but making a bunch of stupid jokes the entire time. So if that's what you came here for, that's not what you're getting today. Uh, you're just getting me, Nate Thurston. This is Good Morning Liberty, where we talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning. Make sure you smash subscribe or follow or whatever it is. Go watch the video on YouTube or watch the clips we put out on TikTok and Twitter. Make sure you go follow us on Twitter or X or whatever it is. Uh, and we're going to get into the show. I'm going to try to do like 30 minutes today just by myself. So we have, you know, half as much talking that's going to be happening. So I'm going to try and do like 30 minutes today. And I'm not just going to, th there wasn't really like a ton of massive news over the weekend. There's a few small things uh, that there were to talk about from over the weekend. But today I wanted to talk about a few things. One's going to be the economy and inflation. That's the first thing we're going to talk about. We're going to show a Paul Krugman uh, tweet that he put out and talk about inflation. And then we're also going to talk about Biden's most recent $1.2 billion student loan bailout. And then we're also going to talk about a case going to the Supreme Court that concerns states trying to... Uh, regulate or put some rules on social media companies, some things that we might not uh, agree on, potentially might not agree on, but Texas and Florida, uh, their social media rules are going up to the Supreme Court. We won't get a judgment on this until June, but those arguments are happening today and we'll talk about some of those arguments. But first, we're going to talk about the economy because that's the most important thing to us on this show and to everyone around the country as well. One thing we've noticed recently as inflation has been coming down is that economists and politicians have been confused why Americans don't think the economy is getting better or why they're so unhappy with Joe Biden uh, with his performance on the economy. I pulled up one of the most recent poll results and uh, Joe Biden has a 37% approval rating, 63% disapproval rating when it comes to the economy. And people are just perplexed about this. They can't figure out why Americans don't realize how good they have it and how good Joe Biden has done with this economy. Now that number 37% is actually up a bit from a couple months beforehand. It was down at 33%, uh, which was not even the lowest back in 2022 when we had the crazy inflation. That was down at 30%. Uh, so anyway, he's hovering in the 30 something percent range for the economy. And like I said, people just can't figure it out because after all, inflation has been cut in half or more and people are doing better than ever, right? And so why aren't you happy? Uh, this tweet or post on X from Paul Krugman, who uh, claims to be an economist, he's talking about food prices, and in this food prices tweet, he says, amazing how much mail and comments I get insisting that gross grocery prices have doubled and are still soaring. 
they haven't, and they aren't. And so what he puts on here, if you're not watching the video on YouTube or Rumble or Odyssey right now, what he puts on here is the CPI for food at home in the U.S. And what you find is uh, it's showing the prices have gone up about 20 to 22%, something like that, since all the inflation came in. And so the people he's arguing with are the people who have said that food prices have doubled. And he's saying, no, you don't know what you're talking about. The uh, the Fred and the CPI number, the BLS, they say that food prices have actually gone up about 20 to 23% since this whole thing started. So however it is that you're feeling, uh, you're wrong. And I, Paul Krugman, am right about this. That's essentially what he's saying. Now you scroll through the comments on this post and it's a lot of people giving what would be anecdotal evidence. Uh, I used to buy this for this price and now I'm buying this for this price, which is roughly double what it used to be. Uh, people giving examples on this. Unfortunately, what we're about to talk about is the fact that that's not how CPI is calculated anymore. Even if the price has doubled, that's not how it's calculated anymore. And that, that changed uh, back in the 80s and the 90s, the way that they do this number. Um, I pulled up this article that was explaining this pretty well. They said in 1983, the government switched from using, this has to do with, with home prices, and we'll get the food here in a second. Uh, they switched from using home prices, which also included mortgage payments and maintenance costs, to using rental prices to gauge the cost of housing. The cost of housing for people who own their property is now measured using what is called owner's equivalent rent, how much their house would cost to rent it if they did not own it. It's interesting. Now, that's not the craziest thing to me because uh, houses generally appreciate in value. And if you already have a house, well, your costs are not really increasing, except for that it also used to cover maintenance costs for the house, which is something that is increasing quite a bit. Trust me, I've had a lot of maintenance, uh, had to put new HVAC unit and stuff like that in my house. And uh, things like that are much more expensive than they were three or four years ago. But now they do owner's equivalent rent. That has its merits and it has its downsides because what if people don't own a home and they want to own a home now? How much has that price gone up in the last few years? It's gone up a lot. If you're watching the video, you can see this chart of how high uh, housing costs were going up from 1960 up to 1980. The uh, number is skyrocketing, uh, going up to 20% percent change from previous year around 1980 and then all of a sudden the number just flatlines and it stays pretty low for the increase in cost that's where they started calculating this differently and isn't that convenient that we don't count it the way that we used to count it and now the inflation is not as bad keep that in mind when they compare the inflation that we have now to the 70s and the 80s that we calculate the inflation in a completely different way than they we're calculating the inflation uh, back then. Uh, critic, uh, just reading more from this article, they say critics argue that by leaving home prices out, the inflation metric underestimates the cost of living at moments when home prices are increasing and when it costs first-time buyers more to get a foothold in the market. Isn't that what we hear a lot of people complaining about, that I don't own a home and I need to buy a home, I'm coming of age, that it's time for me to get a house and it's way too expensive? Well, that doesn't matter. What's calculated in the CPI is what it costs to rent a house, and that's what's counted. 
And so while you're saying, well, this is really weird, it seems like things are way more expensive than they used to be. Well, it's because they are. It's because people have been gaslighting you and telling you that things are not actually going up as much as they have been going up. Um, the food one is the craziest one to me. And so remember, we're kind of talking about this Paul Krugman tweet where he says, all you guys who think the food prices have doubled, y'all are crazy. Here's what the CPI says. Here's what the BLS says. Um, this is another big weight change, and this was in the 90s. Um, economists once collected a basket of items, eggs, milk, shampoo, other items, and tracked how much they cost over time, updating the basket rarely. Uh, but that measure was criticized for potentially overestimating inflation because it ignored that consumers adjust their spending over time as prices increase. History, economics, the meaning of the U.S. Constitution. Did you study these things in school? Probably not. Or even if you did, maybe it's time for a refresher. I know it is for me. We went over these things, but ooh, that was a long time ago. Time and technology have changed a lot of things, but they have not changed basic fundamental truths about the world and our place in it. That's why I'm so excited that Hillsdale College is offering more than 40 free online courses. You can learn about the works of C.S. Lewis, the stories in the book of Genesis, the meaning of the U.S. Constitution, the rise and fall of the Roman Republic, or the history of the ancient Christian church with Hillsdale College's online courses, all available for free. That's right, for free. I personally recommend you sign up for Constitution 101, the meaning and history of the U.S. Constitution. In this 12-lecture course, you'll explore the design and purpose of the Constitution, the challenges it faced during the Civil War, and how it has been undermined for more than a century by progressivism and liberalism. The course is self-paced, so you can start whenever and wherever. Enroll now in Constitution 101. We need more Americans who understand the Constitution can defend the freedom of the American people against encroachments of an increasingly large and unaccountable government. Go right now to hillsdale.edu gml to enroll. There's no cost, and it's easy to get started. That's hillsdale.edu gml to register. hillsdale.edu gml. And we do do this. You, you change, uh, you might even change how much you eat, but you change the way that you spend money. You might change the brands that you buy. Maybe you'll buy more bulk or something like that, or maybe you'll go to a cheaper brand. I don't think this accurately reflects the conditions that people are dealing with, though, in the country. We'll talk more about that in just a sec. Uh, economists began to update the basket more regularly about 20 years ago, and the weights are now reset every two years to reflect what people actually spend their money on. They tried to account for substitutions. Imagine that the price of cupcakes went up one month. Instead of paying more, a consumer might buy cookies instead, a decent but cheaper dessert alternative, and their monthly costs wouldn't go up. So maybe you used to buy cupcakes. I'm no fan of cupcakes myself, but maybe you used to buy cupcakes. And you see that those cupcakes are now twice as high as they used to be. Does that count in the inflation number? No because they have assumed that you are instead going to buy cookies. Because instead of cupcakes, what they've said is uh, dessert. And so can you get a close dessert alternative? Well, yeah, you're likely to substitute down to a cheaper price. But what if you wanted what you wanted? What if you wanted to have the same consistent standard of living that you had three years ago, and you're just addicted to cupcakes and so you got to have them. I don't know why people would feel this way about cupcakes. I don't get it, but some people are like this. 
This is the example they give in the article. They might also buy a container with fewer cupcakes, switch to a cheaper brand. So if, you know, shrinkflation happens also, or if you used to buy a six-pack of these cakes and now you're going to buy a three- or a four-pack to try and save money, well, turns out you're not spending more on on cupcakes like you maybe would have if you would have been buying six. Turns out your cupcake expenditure did not go up even though you bought less cupcakes than what you bought beforehand. Or you might switch to a cheaper brand and shop at a discount store where cupcakes are cheaper. I don't know why they wanted to use cupcakes so much. I wish I would have picked an example that uh, I cared about, but whatever. And to factor in that behavior, the government tweaked how it calculates inflation in some categories in 1999, uh, correcting the problem in the eyes of many economists. The problem those economists saw was that uh, inflation was way too visible for people when they put out these numbers and they needed a way to keep the inflation number lower. I don't like the idea of assuming that people are going to substitute to a different brand because what are we trying to get out of our inflation number? In my opinion, we're trying to get what it is to maintain the same standard of living that we were maintaining back in 2019 to use that as an example. Brands matter. I'll read you what I tweeted out on this or posted out or whatever, but brands matter. I mean, sometimes they don't. I get it. Sometimes it doesn't matter if you go to a cheaper brand. Sometimes they do. There are certain items where I'll refuse to buy the off-brand of whatever whatever the specific item might be. I've got to get that brand. That's the one I've been getting for a long time. And yes, some of those brands have doubled or more in price. As far as the numbers are concerned, they have assumed that I did not care about that specific taste, that specific brand, and that I was fine switching to a cheaper brand. And so therefore, inflation did not affect me very much. Therefore, my expenditure for cookies did not go up because I just switched to the off-brand cookie mix or whatever it was. They shouldn't be making that assumption for people. And not only that, you're assuming that going to a cheaper quality product, it's not always the case. I get it. Sometimes brand names are just brand names and they don't matter, but a lot of times it it, it turns out that they do. Um, I wanted to have that brand. There's a, I mean, there's specific stuff. So I'll get a specific uh, chili, chili powder mix. You know, I got to have a specific one. I will not go to the off brand on. I won't even make chili. I'll, I'd rather not eat that night than use whatever the cheaper product is. Uh, the same thing. I like making chili. Okay. So I can use that, you know, tomato sauce and, and, and all that stuff. I, I got to use the same brand stuff that I've been using. And yes, I put beans in the chili. All right. And I used to get Bush's chili beans. All right. And I get it. If you're from Texas or if you adhere to Texas rules, the beans thing is weird, but guess what? They're crazy expensive now compared to what they used to be. So I put out this post earlier trying to explain you know, what is this disconnect between people? Because you look at the poll results on how people feel about the economy. And uh, I think the last number I saw uh, was that 30, uh, let me find, 35% of the respondents said that the uh, economy is good. That differs widely between Democrats and Republicans. But 35% of the respondents say that the economy is good. It was 37% approve of Joe Biden's handling of the economy. 
why is that? You keep seeing all these news articles that, you know, people, they just can't shake this, even though the economy is in great condition. You look at the numbers, look at the numbers, but they just, they just can't shake it. I think the reason they can't shake it is because you can't actually escape, escape the reality that people are feeling when they go to the grocery store. I know what brands of stuff I buy. And I know that cookies are different from cupcakes. And I remember, unlike the, you know, a number that just says a change from this year to this year, I remember what life was like in 2018 and 2019 and all of the years before that. And I remember how it changed after that. But when you look at the numbers, it, it doesn't show that. They just assume that because they decided this is how they're going to calculate the CPI, that that's the way that everyone's going to be feeling. But that's not the way that that's not the way that people operate. Like we know what our lives were like. We know what products we use to make our food over the last several years. And now maybe it's changed in the last few. I put an example out here. I didn't pull numbers or anything, but I just wanted to give an example of how this works. So if you were buying Campbell's soup, I don't know why I picked Campbell's soup. I also don't really eat soup. So but I just, I figured a can of something. What's a can of something? Maybe it's a can of Campbell's soup and there's a brand name for you. If you bought Campbell's soup four years ago, you might think the price has doubled. But they, in this calculation that started in 1999, they assume that if it's gotten too expensive, you're going to buy great value soup instead or insert whatever... Uh, brand name that is, you know, Walmart's is great value and you can pick whatever other cheaper brand name you can come up with. Uh, maybe Campbell's was $2 and great value was $1.25 in 2019. But now Campbell's is $4 and great value is $2.50. Now you might notice that that is a 100% increase. That is a doubling of the price for each of these items. This calculation says that soup went up 25%. Why does it say that? Because maybe you were paying $2 for Campbell's in 2019, but now they are assuming that you're going to pay $2.50 for the great value brand soup in 2024. So therefore, it increased by 25%. And that is how they get away. And that's how people like Paul Krugman get away with saying that no, food prices have only increased by 22%. Guys, are you the same guy you were 10 years ago? Because I'm not. I woke up one day and realized I didn't have the same energy, the same lean muscle mass, or the get up and go in the bedroom I used to have. As we age, we lose testosterone. They call it the man hormone. I call it the spark from my nateness. But there is a solution. The powerful testosterone booster in Nugenics Total T. I've only been taking this for a few weeks, but I can already tell you it's boosted my energy. I'm running around fixing stuff in the house, going on walks, and yes, I've even started working out. And by the way, my wife says this is none of your guys' business, but the Nate she met 14 years ago is back in the bedroom, if you know what I mean. Nugenics Total T Testosterone Booster with Testofen will help you turn back the clock and re-energize your life. Prove it to yourself risk-free. Try Nugenics Total Tea before you buy. There's nothing to lose and everything to gain. New energy, muscle, drive, and even more passion. Get your complimentary sample when you text 231-231 and enter the keyword GML. Nugenics Total Tea's power boost is backed by clinical studies and real science. Nugenics' key ingredients like testophen has been shown to boost free testosterone levels in men. 
In other words, it's based in science and it works. Nugenics Total Tea's unprecedented formula with key ingredients that safely maximizes your free and total testosterone levels, helps you increase lean muscle mass, and skyrockets your performance as you age whatever your age. If you're not totally satisfied, Nugenics will refund 100% of your purchase price plus shipping and processing. Now get a complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total Tea when you text 231231 and enter the keyword GML. Text now and get a bottle of Nugenics Thermo X, the newest and most powerful fat incinerator ever with key ingredients to help you lose fat fast and get lean fast absolutely free. Text 231231 and enter keyword GML. Text 231231 and enter keyword GML. Texting enrolls you into recurring automated text messages. Consent not required to purchase. Message and data rates may apply. Number one, doctor recommended brand by primary care physicians based on an independent survey conducted by IQVIA 2022. I put in here the brand names are important because they're all often better taste and quality, not always, but this new, this calculation, I said it's new, but it's from 1999. It assumes that these are interchangeable. And instead of giving you the number in the CPI calculation for Campbell's soup, which would be difficult for them to do, I get it. Instead of giving you the number for that, it gives you the number for soup. Or instead of just giving you the number for uh, cupcakes, it could give you the number for uh, dessert, packaged desserts. You're not crazy, you're just being lied to. And so when they gaslight you or they act like you're crazy for thinking that things have gone up so much when they show you a chart and they say that it hasn't gone up that much, uh, no, you're, you're, probably, you're probably right. Um, I wanted to show you what the actual CPI number, according to Shadow Stats, who calculates it based on the 1980 way, uh, and the 1990 way that they calculated this. Um, but this is the 1980 chart. Um, right now, we're sitting around 3.1, 3.3, somewhere in, somewhere in the low threes for the headline CPI inflation number. And if you calculated it based on the 1980 way of calculating this, we would be sitting around 12% inflation. Almost four times as much inflation happening right now in 2024, or at the time this was done, probably late 2023, uh, as what the official headline number is saying. Now, you compound that over the last three or four years, and instead of what we've seen as, I don't actually have this number, I'm just going to guesstimate on it, instead of what we've seen as uh, 18%, compounded inflation over those few years, you might be more at 50% compounded inflation for, for all items over these few years. What we feel and what you feel is that old way that this was calculated because you're the one that has to make decisions on whether or not you're going to switch to a different brand or whether or not you're going to stop buying cupcakes and buy cookies instead. All of those things compound in your, mem your memory and the way that you feel when you're going to the grocery store. The chart does not show that. But the inflation rate that we feel is the blue line on the chart that I'm showing you right now, if you're watching the video. That's where the disconnect is, right there. All right, that concludes that portion of the show. I wanted to talk about the uh, student loan forgiveness thing. Thank you, Bailey, for that compliment. I appreciate that. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
Well, it's January, so everyone's thinking new year, new me, right? But what if there are some things that you're already doing right and could just be expanded on? I started keeping a calendar at the end of last year, trying to get better organized with my crazy life schedule. Maybe you're like Charlie and you've already shed 80 pounds of extra weight and you just have a little further to go. Well, therapy helps you find your strengths so you can ditch the extreme resolutions and make changes that really stick. As you know, I've done therapy in the past and found it to be extremely helpful. It's not just for those that have major trauma, although it's perfect for that too. But it's also for people that want to learn positive coping skills and how to set healthy boundaries and how to be the best, the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Celebrate the progress that you've already made. Visit betterhelp.com slash GML today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash GML. The Biden administration forgave another $1.2 billion in federal student loans. Just got the numbers on this uh, last week. Actually forgiven quite a bit under this new, what they call a save called the save program. I think the old one was called repay or something like that. Uh, it's pretty crazy. You know, he tried to forgive what was calculated to be about $500 billion in student loans. This whole time, I really feel left out by the way, because I, my student loans got bought by a private company. Uh, and by, I think is it a uh, Mohila or a private company, something like that is uh, who has my student loans. And so I don't qualify for any of this. Um, even when they were doing the the interest and all of that, uh, the pause on that didn't count. You know, I paid my loans the whole time. Uh, so when, if you got bought by a private company, you're you're screwed on this whole thing. But they shouldn't be doing it in the first place. I went to school. I told them that I was going to pay for that. All the paperwork said what interest rates were going to be and stuff like that. And I agreed to pay that stuff back. I went through a period of a few years after I got out of college and didn't pay my loans, you know, racked up a bunch of interest and charges and stuff like that on them. And so the situation I'm in with those loans right now, where the, if you look at the number, I've paid off like $2,000 worth of my student loans when I've been paying on them consistently every month for uh, 15, 15 years, something like that. And I've paid off like $2,000, but I pay like $400 a month for the student loans. It sucks. Okay. It does suck. I shouldn't have gone to college. What a waste of time. Anyhow, on uh, Wednesday, the Biden administration announced $1.2 billion in additional student loan forgiveness for more than 150,000 borrowers. This is definitely not a way that they're buying votes. Definitely not a way that Biden is trying to get votes before the election, stepping up this whole forgiveness thing when he's doing terrible with young people who are upset about the Israel-Gaza thing. His poll numbers are terrible with young people projected to lose pretty badly, actually, in the, uh, in the election right now. Definitely not just trying to buy votes. That's not what it is. This is not bribery in any sense. Uh, this particular round of forgiveness was previously announced last month. And we just got the exact costs. Quote, the Biden-Harris administration has now approved nearly $138 billion 
and student debt cancellation for almost 3.9 million borrowers through more than two dozen executive actions. Wasn't, I mean, he'll use that pen for stuff that he wants to use that pen for. From day one of his administration, President Biden vowed to fix the student loan system and make sure higher education is a pathway to the middle class, not a barrier to opportunity. This is not doing anything to fix the student loan system or to make sure that higher education is a pathway to the middle class. The way that higher education is a pathway to the middle class is if you go and you get a, you obtain a skill that is actually valuable in the economy, that is actually needed in the economy, and that you actually need the degree to get whatever job it is that you end up working. That's how it's actually a pathway. That's not just because you have the degree, if it's a completely worthless degree, or in my case, if you have four and a half years of college and no degree, that doesn't help you uh, either, just so you know. And it's not fixing the actual student loan system. You're not helping with the actual prices of college. All you're doing right now is you're incentivizing the colleges to keep raising their prices to astronomical levels. You're promising to, promising to bail out students who get into these loans. How is that actually going to fix the student loan system? That's not a fix. Back to the article. This latest slate of forgiveness is part of the Education Department's sweeping changes to how the government handles student loan repayment. As part of the administration's original attempt to forgive up to $20,000 in federal loans per borrower, they also made several changes to other student loan programs. Most notably, they introduced the Saving on a Valuable Education. SAVE, a new income-driven repayment IDR program designed to be much more generous than previous plans. For example, under the previous plan, Repay, uh, monthly payments were set at 10% of a borrower's discretionary income, and that discretionary income was defined as earnings above 150% of the poverty line, with forgiveness coming after 20 years of consistent payments. Now, the payment is only 5% of their discretionary income, which is now defined as 225% above the poverty line, and you, uh, let's see, if the borrower's balance is less than 12K, they'll get forgiveness after just 10 years. So it used to be 20, now it's 10. It used to be 10% of, of your income above 150% of the poverty line. Now the payment is 5% of your income above 225% of the poverty line. And like I said, uh, you got to pay on it for 10 years instead of 20. So they made it like way, way easier. Way easier to get your loans paid off. I'll show you why I wanted to talk about this, and we'll get into a couple tweets, one from Robert Reich and one from Nina Turner um, after this. Uh, the original plan was estimated, and I remember the Supreme Court said that he couldn't do this, and Biden's been out there boasting about how, yeah, they said I couldn't do it, but I went ahead and did it anyway. Okay, that's fine. I just wonder if the same people are going to be okay with that logic when some other president is doing the same thing. Yeah, the Supreme Court said I can't do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. That didn't stop me. I don't think a lot of people are going to be okay with that line. That was estimated to cost $500 billion. And everyone was freaking out about that. Supreme Court said that he couldn't do it. This plan, the SAVE plan, over the next decade, as this happens, is going to come in around $475 billion. $475 billion. And the 500 billion one 
uh, was told by the Supreme Court that they couldn't do it anymore. So they found a way to still forgive almost the exact same amount. It'll probably end up being even more than that. They'll add on new ways to try and do this. Why are they doing it right now? Probably because it was a campaign promise and they're coming up on an election year. Now, if you say that, you're some kind of conspiracy theorist. Like Robert Reich just said, funny how wealthy Americans will readily accuse Biden of buying votes with student debt forgiveness, but had no issue with Trump signing massive tax cuts for themselves. Could have been a dumb bleep submission for Friday, but I didn't want to wait all the way until Friday to mention to Robert Reich that deciding that you're going to steal less money from people is not the same thing as deciding that you're going to steal money from people and give it to other people. I know that in a way, people don't see that as what is happening when they cancel, in quotes, your student loans, but the debt is not canceled. It's transferred onto the taxpayers. It It's not as if the school is like, okay, yeah, we're not going to charge you for this college. The The government canceled it, so we're not, you know... We're no longer going to accept payment for the time that you were at school. Is that what's happening? No, school's already been paid. They already got their money. So it's coming from somewhere, but it's not actually canceled. Where's it going to come from? It's going to come from the taxpayers, or it's going to come from inflation, which is going to be everyone, borrowing, which is going to be everyone. It still comes from other people. That's what I'm trying to get at. So this idea that student debt forgiveness... You know, people are upset about that, but they were totally fine with tax cuts. That ain't the same thing because taxation is theft. That is taking from people what they have justly earned. Okay, this is actually still just taking from people what they have justly earned and giving it to other people who had signed on the dotted line saying that they were going to pay something back. Now, he says, "There's not, this is not buying votes. This is ridiculous. He's not buying votes. I wanted to couple that with a post from Nina Turner who said, who, she's retweeting, quote tweeting this poll. And uh, the, the poll says, a new poll conducted in Michigan by Howard University shows that President Biden's support among black voters has dropped from 49% to 49% from 94%. It was a 94% in 2020 down to 49% right now. If that actually holds true to the way people that vote, by the way, then Biden loses the election. If, if that is actually how the votes are going to shake out, he'll lose the election based on that number. Trump's support has risen to 26%, which is three times what it was in 2020. So it was a little bit over 8% in 2020 among black voters. Now it's up to 26%. So what is Nina Turner's response to this? Reparations, now. Medicare for all, now. College for all, now. Her actual answer is that we need to buy everyone's votes. I just found that to be pretty funny. If you're having a hard time getting support among black voters, you know what you need to do? Give them free stuff. And by free, I mean by using money that you stole from people under the threat of imprisonment and death. That is what you need to do. You can't get them to vote for you. Let's give them other people's money. Problem solved. Okay, I said I was going to do 30 minutes today, and I think that's actually best. I have to do another show by myself tomorrow, 
And so I've got like a, a bunch of stuff in here about this social media Supreme Court case. The arguments are actually happening today. This will give me an opportunity to actually hear some of the arguments that people are making in front of the Supreme Court, maybe actually bring some of them into the discussion. And so I'm going to do that. Also, Florida passed a bill banning people under the age of 16, uh, children, kids under the age of 16, uh, from being on social media. And I thought that this was all supposed to be parental rights and stuff like that. Like parents could decide how to raise their kids. Uh, but in this case, they're deciding to ban that. Now that has not been signed yet by uh, Ron DeSantis, but uh, we don't we don't know for sure if he's going to sign it. Uh, Bailey asked if I did the uh, Alabama IVF thing. No, I had a ton of stuff pulled up about it. And then we just didn't get to it. And then something else happened. And then we didn't get to it. And maybe that's something I should add on for tomorrow. It, um, <laughs> I don't know where everyone in the group stands on it, but um, the implications of it, I believe, are, are quite ridiculous, in my opinion. Um, but the legal argument for it and using what Alabama's definition of when life begins and all that, the legal argument for it based on their law in Alabama it, it is sound and it does take the pro-life position to its logical conclusion. Um, I just think this is uh, <coughs> maybe going a little bit too far, uh, in my opinion. And it's going to be really bad for Republicans too, but that's on them. Uh, but they don't need to be making anyone upset about abortion leading up to the elections uh, because that could actually end up swinging things. One thing I have been trying to pay attention to are ballot measures uh, that are getting put on the ballot in different states to try and, you know, one thing that they do, well, if you're not excited to come out and vote for Biden, you saw this a lot in 2022, right after the, the Roe ruling. Uh, you saw that a lot in 2022. A lot of states have ballot measures out there that were, you know, codifying abortion rights and stuff like that. That's a good way to get people out to vote and do a some type of item that they're very worked up about, that they care about a lot, and they'll come out and vote for it. And so one thing I'm trying to watch is what states, uh, particularly swing states, are trying to put really big abortion measures on their ballots for the 2024 elections because if people don't want to come out there for Joe Biden, they might come out there to try and vote for an amendment uh, protecting the right to an abortion or something like that. If I were a Democratic strategist, that's what I would be trying to do. Anyway, we'll see if that's what they're going to do. I'm going to end it here. And uh, maybe I'll bring in the stuff that I had about the IVF case. It wasn't a very, you know, you said it's interesting. I did find it to be very interesting. I heard the, um, the legal argument uh, based on Alabama's law. And I understand why they came to the conclusion that they did. Uh, I do get that. I just think that that is... Um, I think it's, it's, it's not going to be, yeah. So the other thing is the media might be making this way more than what it actually is. So that's another, and you might have uh, activist organizations that are basically going too far or saying like, oh, we're not going to do IVF anymore. We're not going to do this anymore. And they could be doing that to try and work a lot of people up uh, to get them upset about something. So we'll, uh, We'll get into that and the social media thing tomorrow. Hey, if you enjoyed today's episode, I surely hope you did. Uh, make sure you give us a like on YouTube if that's where you're watching it right now. Subscribe to the podcast, follow, do all those things. 
And if you do every single one of those things, I mean all of them, I'll be right back here again tomorrow. Until then, have a good day and a good morning, Liberty. Liberty.